1: Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Crystal Ashby, Executive Vice President and Chief People Officer at Independence Health Group, the parent company of Independence Blue Cross, where she helps to attract and develop talent while advancing the company's culture of engagement, Inclusion, and
2: Innovation. Crystal, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Laura. I am excited to be here and excited to have this conversation with you today. Now, I would imagine that just about
1: everybody out there is familiar with independence. Healthcare is such a huge industry out there, and independence, of course, has such a widespread. But give me your version of the 30-second elevator pitch. What is it that you're doing?
2: Well, since you and I are both sitting here in the Philadelphia area, what I would say is most people... In Philadelphia with no Independence Blue Cross as Independence Blue Cross. But the reality is we're actually a national healthcare company, Independence Health Group, which is headquartered in the great city of Philadelphia. We take care of people's health, their insurance needs. We're really about health equity these days. Whether they've been covered at their company, whether it's medical assistance, whether it's Medicare Advantage, or whether it's their own uh, insurance that they've purchased. I think As the Chief People Officer at Independence, my focus and my joy is really tied to our incredible workforce. We have about 10,000 talented associates who are very creative, they're very kind, they're incredibly engaging and innovative and they are the backbone of this organization. So for me, what I would say is they play the most critical role in helping us fulfill our mission of enhancing the health, the well-being of the communities we serve, and being such a critical part of the communities where we do business.
1: Yes. Now, you're a new part of this community in the sense of you have only really been in this particular role with independence for just a few months now. So what is it that made you decide it's this job and it's now? Why make such a big leap?
2: You're right. I've only been in the role for a little bit, but there were two primary factors. I come from a family. My grandmother was a nurse for a long time. And I'm at a stage in my life where I want to be able to make an impact and to be somebody who contributes. And healthcare, just post COVID 19, is really such a critical one. And the other thing is, you want to work with people who are really aligned with how you live, your values. And I had the opportunity to work with the CEO, Greg Devins, when we were at the Executive Leadership Council. And I found Greg to be someone who his leadership is critical at this time. He's very thoughtful, he's very deliberate. And I felt that. I could come here, look at the things I really wanted to do, and I could actually make a difference and make an impact. And I wasn't going to go someplace and do a job where I didn't think that was going to happen. And the connectivity that this organization has to the city allowed me to believe that it was possible here.
1: So what are you most excited about looking ahead with regard to the impact that you want to have in this role?
2: I'm excited about learning about a new city. I'm excited about learning new people. I'm excited about looking at an organization that's doing some really great things as it relates to diversity and amplifying what we're doing in the diversity space. I'm excited about amplifying our talent pools as we do our recruiting. And I'm excited about increasing to engage our impact through our entire associate population so that we are as connected to the community as the community is connected to us.
1: I can't think of any industry that's more connected to a community than healthcare in this particular area. So that's great. Now, what's something that's happening in the industry Either right now or on the horizon. And how do you have to adjust your messaging? I mean, chief people officer is very different from chief financial officer, or chief operating officer, something like that. So how do you have to adjust your messaging to inform various differing stakeholder groups with regard to that particular change?
2: Well, you asked a specific, what are we doing? I would say the road to re-entry probably is the biggest thing that I'm focusing on since I've been in. And it's something that goes through change every day. We can make a decision and we can think we're headed down one path. And I end up finding myself the next day having to make a new decision because there's been a change. If you take the implications of COVID-19 and all of the different variants, Delta, Omicron, how we actually engage and how I engage our associates and how I help engage our leadership on When is the best time, from a safety standpoint, to bring people back? And if we're not going to be able to bring them back as soon as possible, I feel responsible for how do we actually stay connected to them? In my prior role as an interim president and CEO, once you take an organization remote, you have to figure out how do we engage? How do we stay connected? How do we keep people creatively connected to each other in a remote space? I feel that as the chief people officer, that is one of the most critical things that this role helps to do, as well as continuing to keep the associates safety first and foremost, in our minds. But how do we reimagine what the workforce looks like now? So I look at it, starting with HR, how do I help reimagine HR? And then how does that filter out into the other parts of the organization so that we create a place where I want to be and therefore other people want to be? while still managing to accept the fact that we have learned how to work remotely, but it's better when we are together.
1: Sure, and this is something that so many people that I speak to are trying to navigate the new big word, the hybrid workforce, workplace, et cetera. I avoided that word. You did. So I just threw it right into the pot. And I wonder if people like now having the choice, they want to be able to have their voice heard and to be able to cast their vote and say, I want to be home. I want to be in person. My sense is, and you can tell me if this is just my hallucination or if this is something where people are going to have to start to be a bit more creatively proactive. It strikes me that, One of the pitfalls that we're going to have to avoid in some ways, especially when we're looking at equity among all employees, is that for those who prefer to stay home more often for whatever reason, whether it's just personality or being conservative with regard to safety, et cetera, that you lose the connection with people. and. It's not just about, well, we Zoom, so we're talking to each other, so it's enough. But those who do choose to come in, again, for whatever reason, are going to have something or are likely to have an advantage with regard to getting known and just developing the stronger relationships and things so that down the line, when there are opportunities for promotions or for teams or for opportunities or for whatever, that those people may have a bit more of a leg up or an advantage just because they're better known and understood. They've been out there more. Is this something that people who are staying home more are going to need to not just expect to have a policy compensate for that, but are there things that people who are staying home should keep in mind to make sure that they are top of mind and that they are maintaining their own relationships?
2: I think that it's not just the people that are at home that have to do that. I think the leadership in each component of the organization has to do that. If we as leaders, and I include myself in that, have a, say it's a policy or say it's an interim situation while we manage through the impact of the different variants. If we make the decision that remote working, work from home, I would say, as opposed to remote working because we are a Philadelphia-based company for the most part. If I'm talking about that is something that we accept as a tenant in our organization that is possible. It's incumbent upon me to make sure that, the people in my portion of the organization have the same opportunities and it's incumbent upon me to make sure that no one's being left out, fear of being left out. No one has that feeling that because I'm not there, I'm not being seen or because I'm not there. And it means being very diligent and judicious about how you create opportunities for people that aren't present to shine to actually show what they're capable of, to actually be the lead on teams. So it is reimagining how you work and thinking about, because I agree with you, there was a period of my career where if you weren't in the office or if you weren't seen by the senior leadership, it was unlikely that you were going to move up. In the current environment, we have to actually model it differently. And that means creating the opportunities for people that are not really definitely sitting right in front of you. And you may go through a phase where no one is sitting in front of you. We've had to do that already. So it's a little bit of a pivot. But it is something that I think has to become a part of our DNA, that you can't rely upon just the people that you can see. You have to include your full workforce.
1: Sure. And I'll be interested to see how it balances out, because on the one hand, leadership, of course, needs to be mindful of this and create those opportunities to allow everybody to get the visibility. But each individual is, of course, to some extent, responsible for taking advantage of those opportunities and putting themselves out there and making themselves visible, understanding that if we're choosing to stay home for whatever reason... There's going to be the need to be some extra effort to make sure that your voice is heard, that your face is seen, that you have those relationships.
2: Well, you know, one of the things I learned at a particular stage in my career was my career was as much my responsibility as it was the responsibility of the people that i reported to. And I think this is one of those moments. Your career is as much and where you want to go and the things you want to do. So one of the things I often say to people is keeping your head down and working hard isn't going to get you to where you want to be. You have to talk about what you want, but you also have to talk about what you're capable of and what you do. I think this feeds into where we are now. You actually have to advocate for yourself more than you may have ever had to advocate in the past. And you do have to do things to keep yourself front and foremost on people's thought processes. But I do think that leaders, and I will say as a leader, I think it's incumbent upon me to also have that aha moment, It's easy to go to the people that I always know are going to deliver or perform. I have to challenge myself to change my sort of MO on how I do things and to reach and bring other people in. I would agree with you. I think it's more of a two-way street than it may have ever been because the accountability, if you're not all together, has maybe been split as opposed to it being more upon me and less upon the associates.
1: Yeah, I think that's the two-way street is really the right analogy because you can only Of course, the system has to create the opportunities and make sure that it's giving everyone the access and the opportunity to be seen, to be known, to be understood, to be top of mind. But then people also, you can lead a horse to water, but eventually the horse has to choose to drink it one way or another. So I'll be really curious to see how this starts to play out and what patterns we're noticing because it's just a topic that I'm hearing more and more. And it was already a challenge that I was hearing from a lot of clients who were, much like you described, either for whatever reason of the mindset of, well, if I just keep my head down and I just do my work and I'm just really good at whatever my job responsibilities are, shouldn't my boss just notice me and choose to give me promotion opportunities, et cetera? And it's like, well, no, you you do have to do some self-advocacy and some stepping out for yourself. It can't just be you're under the wing. So I'll, I'll be really interested to see how this, starts to play out down the line with regard to that great road to reentry that you mentioned. I love that expression.
2: And I think the hybrid model will continue to evolve. And I don't think it's going to be the same for any one organization. And I think within the organization, you will have to have different types of hybrid models based upon the work that you do. So I believe that being open to the possibilities and actually recognizing that change and accepting alternatives is a good thing as opposed to staying the course. Yes. As you
1: mentioned, from division and department to division and department, et cetera, the different cultures, the different responsibilities, I would assume cybersecurity is going to be very different from the actual healthcare staff themselves, the providers, et cetera. So needless to say, very, very, to say the least. So let's talk about you and your personal skill set and your communication. So what's something that you're really good at and what's something you wish you were better at?
2: I am really good at listening. And by that, I mean, I'm really good at listening to understand what's not being said. It's very hard for me because I'm trained as a lawyer. And most lawyers are used, as I start to listen, I'm preparing my argument before you even get your first five words out. There's a lot that people, when they're talking, don't say. But if you're paying attention to what is being said, you hear what's not being said. And I have really become really good at that and i think it's very critical especially in the current environment where you're not physically with people to really be still and hear what they're saying and kind of pause and pivot and pick apart what's being said so you can get to what's underneath it and if you ask me what are some of the things that i would probably like to improve on or how would i like to be better i would love to learn more patience that's something that i've ever mastered i remember you're having a conversation with someone and you're about to react and i find myself especially in my leadership role saying You need to be quiet and hear, let them tell the whole story. Don't jump into solution. Don't try to solve every problem. Don't decide that that doesn't work because it doesn't help the process. So I have to learn to be patient and sort of sit back. There was a phase in my life where I always reacted on the 80-20. If we're 80% of the time there, there was also a time in my life where I needed 100%. And so something about walking the fine line of being patient because the end result is often better if you pause for a minute and think about what's going on. And I'm always about the best end result. So I think that's the thing I'd like to have more of. And that's actually as much in my work life as is in my personal life. Where are we going for dinner? What movie are we going to go see? The answer should be right there as opposed to let me think about it and I'll come back to you.
1: Yes. Patience is a good thing. It's funny. I think I love the way you described always sort of formulating the answer as we're listening rather than waiting until the end to make the decision. And I always feel like most people listen as if they're playing a game of conversational double dutch jump rope, where they're watching the other person's lips like it's the two spinning ropes. And they're just sitting there bouncing back and forth, (laughs) rocking on their feet, waiting for the right moment when they can jump in, find that entrance. Jump in. Yes, exactly. They're waiting for the rhythm of the lips to stop slapping and flapping as they're going. It's like, there's my opening, jump. So just to take a step back,
2: sit down, let the ropes continue to turn until they're ready to stop. So that's fun. My visual, when you said that though, was that they were watching the lips, which meant they weren't hearing a thing that was being said because they were really just waiting for the opportunity to jump in. Yes, exactly the point. I think that's how
1: most people tend to listen and I'm just as guilty myself. Now, who is somebody who's a role model for you as far as a communicator? So I will share two things. Foundationally,
2: my great-grandmother, my grandmother, and my mother. I had my great-grandmother till I was 26. I had my grandmother until last year, and my mom is still with me. And they always were very clear. They were always very encouraging. And even when you did something wrong, they always tried to find the good side of it as they were talking through why this wasn't what you were supposed to do or how you were supposed to do something. And foundationally, having all three of them sort of set me on the right path in terms of how I deal with, and communication often is how you're dealing with people, especially in this virtual age. I find myself having to be thinking about what I'm saying because that's the only thing that people are receiving from me. It relates to the role that I'm in right now, one of the people that I would really owe a huge shout out to is the person that hired me at Amico, Steve Winters. And the reason I think about Steve is he was very clear with me about what he saw in me, how he knew I could do almost anything. Like people would say to him, did you tell her a new assignment? And he would say, yes, yeah, she laughed. His position with me was, I believe you can do whatever I ask you to do. I believe you can do whatever you want to do. And he constantly communicated that to me. And I learned the value of that. But he's also someone who taught me the value of the conversation you have with someone during a performance review. So I'm thinking about these things as I think about the role that I'm in right now. He would spend an hour with you. I've been in performance review situations where they're 10 minutes, 15 minutes. He really talked to you about the journey you've been on, where you're trying to go. And those were key things. Where are you trying to go? What do you want to do? What's next for you? And so... Both of them have taught me the communication of actually asking that person, engaging with that person and really understanding where that person is as you're having whatever conversations you're having. And I was talking about it in terms of performance reviews, but I think when we sit down to have a cup of coffee, having the conversation, I ask so I can understand what they're telling me. And I ask because I want to know. I truly enjoy people. So if I'm having a conversation or I'm communicating with you, it's because I really, really want to know. I'm not just doing it to check a box or to say yeah, I met with so-and-so. I'm hoping that by the end of that meeting, we've taken our relationship from where it was when we walked in to someplace else. And so any creation for me is like that. Yes,
1: which is great listening. Now, how have you learned to shift your speech style or your communication style to be able to connect with different groups effectively? Because everybody starts in their career and in, in one place. But then by the time you get all the way up to chief people officer, you're dealing with a whole lot of different stakeholder groups. How have you learned to navigate the different styles that you'll need to flex into so that those groups hear you effectively?
2: I think in some respects you're asking, how do you change your influence or how do I change how I choose to communicate to influence or have an impact? And when I think about my early days, what I would share with you is that I remembered preparing to go into meetings and I would hear because often I was the only woman in the room. Often I was the only minority in the room. And I could physically, as I went into a meeting, I would sort of stand there and I could hear the armor go, clack, 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 the armor would just, so that I was prepared for whatever came at me in the meeting. And I remember the first time I walked into a meeting and I was preparing to walk in and it didn't happen. And what was clear for me was that I had found my own voice and that I was very comfortable in the fact that I could represent whatever I was talking about that I could do it in a way to help people understand. And I do think you have to figure out where people start from. You have to understand where someone is as you're bringing the issue to them. And you also have to understand things like people are wired differently. And so that's part of liking what you know about people. If someone is a data phobe, you're going to go into that conversation knowing that you need to give them data because that's going to help them go on the journey with you. If someone is really more interested in, and I I tend to look for the data points, but I also look for the anecdotes because I find telling people stories that they connect to actually helps them on the journey to understand and the journey to solution. So I like to give people anecdotal things that they can connect to. Sometimes I use sports analogies. I went to the University of Michigan. I'm a huge football person. you would have to be. They don't let you in otherwise. That's very true. Or at least they don't let you out. It is a question on the application (laughs) process. Yes. But I played basketball in high school, so I have a thing for sports, but finding a way to connect to people. And so that's having some conversation to understand where people sit, how they respond to things. So much of what I'm talking about revolves around communication, which is not necessarily intentional, but I am finding that that's what I'm talking about the most. But I do think, and being prepared, to be able to answer the questions that someone asks you, being confident that you know the facts that, so I walk into a room and I know what I know, I'm sure and I'm confident about it. And I'm prepared to have a conversation about it. And I'm also prepared to hear somebody else's side of something.
1: Yeah. And I really appreciate the phrase that so much is about communication. You're not necessarily intending to talk about communication, but somehow that's what it focuses around. And that's exactly, frankly, why I've got the show, because most people don't realize that that's what it all comes down to. And a great study came out a few years ago from the Center of Talent Innovation about executive presence. And they were measuring it, trying to identify what the factors were. And they came up with everything boiled down to kind of three big buckets. And there was appearance as the smallest one, And then gravitas is the largest bucket and communication skills is the mid-bucket. And I thought, I'm not surprised that communication came out as one of the top three overarching categories, but it struck me as odd that it could be separated from appearance because how do you demonstrate your gravitas, whether it's about your industry expertise or your ability to make decisions and stick to your guns even when it's unpopular, et cetera, that doesn't somehow boil down to the way that you communicate with those in those experiences. So I understood what the sort of subclassifications, the variables that they were using to operationalize it, but it still struck me as strange that the concept that you could have good gravitas and not good communication skills, like that they were somehow... Nice to have both, but not necessary. It it does all come down to communication. That's exactly my feeling.
2: I would agree with you, which is to your point why you're doing what you do.
1: Exactly. All the genius we have in our heads is terrific, but I like to say the biggest gap in the world is the three inches between our brains and our mouths.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my favorite saying is, "Words matter." Yes, because words are powerful. Yes. I mean, the reality is what we say. You can never take it back. Correct. And how it impacts someone. In that moment, you cannot change. You can fix it on the back end, but you cannot change the moment that it happens. So words are a tool, words are a weapon, and words can be some of the most amazing things that could possibly happen.
1: I've done a number of trainings for faith-based organizations of different sorts in healthcare and elsewhere. And often in those contexts, I'll start with an intro slide from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 18:21. for anybody out there who appreciates those kinds of references, which is that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I agree. And it all starts from there. I agree. So, any tool can be used for good or for evil. My goal is to give you the tools to use them for good, hopefully. We hope that everybody goes in that direction. All right. So, Crystal, this brings us to the listener 24 hour influence challenge. We have talked about a whole bunch of different ways that we want to influence others. How do you want to help others to influence somebody
2: else? What's your challenge for my listeners today? So, I just did this recently. So, I'm excited to share. I want people to share what they're grateful about. What's your grateful? We have an waste story here. And I did a, right before Thanksgiving, I sent out a note to the entire organization and I shared it and I said, what's your favorite meal and what are you grateful for? What's your favorite dish at Thanksgiving and what are you grateful for? I had zero idea that anybody would respond the number of people that responded about what they were grateful for. And I think at this particular time, as we're dealing with so much change, so much uncertainty, we have to be reminded that we have a lot to be grateful for. We have a lot to be thankful for. And as we go into this holiday season, it should be at top of mind for everybody. Yes. And so that's my challenge. Share what you're grateful for.
1: And we will absolutely put that out there. All right, everybody, you know what to do. Make sure that you share. And with whom should you
2: share it? I think you should share it with, your family, your friends. But I think you should share it with people that cross your path casually because what is most interesting to me is that one thing when you say to someone, I love your hat or that's a fabulous scarf. The smile and the joy that you see when somebody reacts to that because they got dressed in a hurry and they ran out and all of a sudden they're like, oh, thank you. That genuine smile that comes back, I'm grateful for the fact that that smile comes back because it means I connected with that person. I may never see them again. Yes. I've always said that
1: in the days when we did actually have in-person networking, a lot of people are always like, I'm not comfortable in networking events. I don't know how to strike up a conversation with someone. I don't know. How do I, what's the first move? And I've always said, one of the easiest things to do is compliment somebody on their shoes. When in doubt, because you know, especially if it's a woman, the shoes or the earrings, whatever the
2: accessories are, she picked those out. And a lot of guys too, you can tell, right? There was a process. Guys with shoes is a big deal, but there is a process to how you add things on. So I agree with you if you comment on that because it's, again, choice. They had to make a choice. Exactly.
1: And it's something that
2: everybody's comfortable with and just, they could be talking to
1: somebody else. Just a little light tap on the elbow or something as you're walking by just to get their attention and go, by the way, fabulous shoes. Love your shoes. You are their best friend. They cannot wait to talk more to you because you know that they pick those out deliberately and you already have that connection. They know that you get them. It's such an easy and fun way to connect and a great way to make them thankful for something. Now, let's shift gears to some of the lessons learned along the way.
2: What's a communications-related mistake that you've made? And if you could have a do-over, what would it look like? So for me, the communications mistake I made was not asking enough questions, if you can imagine. I was in a situation earlier in my legal career and I you know, worked with a team and we were selling a piece of property and I didn't ask enough questions to understand who owned it, et cetera. And so when I sold it, I realized I sold the wrong piece of land and we didn't own it. Oops. Yes. and That's a really big oops. Yeah, okay. okay, You asked me for an oops, I'm gonna give you an oops. <laughs> you got it, man, you over-deliver, I appreciate it. So we had ended up selling the wrong, and land is not an easy thing to do because all property is individual. I then had to explain to the business and then I had to figure out how to get us out of it. And I had a peer who I was working with. Had I paused and asked more questions, I probably would have learned more and I would have sent a very different communication out and I would have bought the right piece of property. And so for me, it's asking enough questions to make sure you have the right data so that you are fully informed and you can make the right decisions. So you don't find yourself. And my boss was very gracious, then we fixed it and it was fixable, but there was about 48 hours where people weren't breathing and no one was talking to me.
1: (laughs) I'm impressed it was only 48 hours. That's great that you worked through it that quickly.
2: It probably felt like the longest 48 hours of your life. I went home the first five and crawled into bed and pulled the covers over my head and swore I wasn't coming out. And then (laughs) the other side of me got my act together and I got up and I got to it. But yeah, no, it's asking enough questions to make sure you're where you need to be so you don't have a situation like the one I just shared happen to you.
1: And it's good to make those mistakes early on in the career, get
2: them out of the way, learn the lessons, lick the wounds. Well to your point though, I think that's the most critical thing. Mistakes are not a bad thing as long as you learn what you're supposed to learn from them. Yes. And I learned my lesson in that one very, very well.
1: I'm glad that there's I forget who it was that said there's no point in making the same mistake twice when there are so many
2: new ones to experiment with. And I think to that issue, we shouldn't be afraid of it. It's not always going to work. And I, that, that's how we learn. I mean, you don't want to make catastrophic mistakes. I wouldn't suggest selling the wrong piece of property. to anyone.
1: <laughs> you, No, it's not worth it. Okay, learn lesson from you. Learn it vicariously. Go make your own new mistakes out there. Exactly. All right, everybody, you heard that one. You don't need to take that path. Don't follow in those footsteps. Sidestep that nice little pitfall there. Don't sell the wrong property. Good, or buy the wrong property for that matter. Either, either side. No. Tell me about a time when you had to share some bad news or initiate a difficult conversation. How'd you handle it? It's
2: interesting. And I think what comes to mind for me are things that I've done that would have been aligned with the space that I'm in right now. And there was a time when I had the opportunity to help people transition from roles that they were in, in our organization, out of the organization. We made the decision to move our corporate headquarters from Chicago to Houston and different levels of talent you acquire locally versus acquiring them and take, and moving them. And I had the privilege of being the person who had to let some 53 people know that they weren't going to have a role because a huge component of the organization was moving to Houston and they would not be able to support the people they'd been supporting. It was our paralegals and our administrative assistants. And I had to have individual conversations with each one of them. And if you can imagine... That's a conversation that's hard when you only have to talk to one person. But I had to kind of gird myself every day because I had to talk. And these are people that I knew, people that I engaged with every day in the office. I knew their families. I had to constantly remind myself that there was a reason it was being done, but it had to be done in a respectful way. And it had to be done taking them into consideration. And the other thing I learned in the process is if you ever get too comfortable having that conversation, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, then you need to quit your job right then because you should not be doing that. Yeah. You've lost the heart. Yeah. You have to do it. There are times when it has to be done, but you should never feel like this is a non-event because you are impacting someone else's life. I was impacting every person who sat across from me. I was having an impact on their life. Some cases it was good. They were like, happy they were gonna go do something else. Other cases, it was devastating because that was how they took care of their families, their immediate families, their extended families. And so that was probably the situation.
1: Yeah, I would imagine that would have I can't even imagine having to do that for that many people. There was a movie that came out, gosh, what was it ten years ago, maybe? I think it was up in the air, is that the right one? With George Clooney and Anna Kendrick. Yes. Yes, yes. That was his job. He was the the hired axe or whatever. you can't even imagine but And that was the challenge, right? He just, he was able to disassociate from it emotionally. And that's why people were so upset with him. To everybody out there, note her advice there. The day that you're that comfortable with it, that you can start a movie with George Clooney, which would not by itself be a bad thing. That's when you need to maybe stay in the movies, but not stay in HR.
2: bad place. I would do a movie with George Clooney anytime, (laughs) but I would not do it on this subject. Yes,
1: yes. Fortunately, I think that's been done. Check. Time to move on. Now, Speaking of the virtual world and the screens, perhaps not a silver screen, but the home-based screen that we're all on nowadays, for you and personally and for your wider team overall, how has your virtual presence improved over the last year or so, and what would help everyone to be even more effective here in the virtual world?
2: You know, Laura, that's a really interesting question. I would take a step back to when I was the interim president and CEO of the Executive Leadership Council, because my virtual presence had to grow very, very quickly. And I was a Black CEO of a Black organization during, I think, what will historically be in Black America, between the adverse impacts of COVID-19 on that community, the murder of George Floyd, and then what I call the third pandemic, which was the pandemic of democracy that we dealt with here I had to get really comfortable really fast being able to speak, so I spent time getting prepared, but talking on CNBC, talking to the conference board, talking on the Fortune Women's 100 stage, and it was a gradual, fast thing. What I would say is it's getting comfortable, really comfortable quickly with your own voice and the fact that you actually do know what you're talking about and you have the ability and you have opinions that matter and opinions that are relevant and being comfortable with learning what you need to learn before you step into that space and that's really sort of the external piece the internal piece is about you and i are having a conversation on the screen right now you and i have never met but our engagement early on allows us to be comfortable with each other so that i can show up on this screen as my real self and so part of the virtual world Is me saying, okay, I actually do really wanna get to know that person, even if I'm only on a screen with them for an hour. I don't care that they're just in a box. It's one of the reasons why having me being not my initials, but my physical face and myself showing up as opposed to the box, how you can talk to each other. So it's relational, but it's relational in a virtual environment. How do you find that connectivity? And so you have to come a little bit more outside of yourself and you have to ask more questions to understand who people are, because you don't have the things you learn when you're just physically in each other's space. And then I think there's also creating ways to be more connected. And some of them are artificial. I used to do hump day Wednesdays. So 30 minutes, everybody shows up, everybody comes. It's not required. This was with my prior team. It's not required. But you, everybody gets on the call and there's a throw out a question for the day. Everybody has to answer it. It might be, what's your favorite color? What's your word for the day? Right before Memorial and Labor Day was like, what's the one thing that has to be at the barbecue? But one time we pivoted into this whole conversation about grandparents and people were talking about their grandparents who lived in other countries and how they hadn't seen them. It was an opportunity to learn about each other, find the connectivity, what makes you and I connected to each other, which enhances how our future conversations will be because I found something out about you that makes me a lot more like you than a lot less like you. And you did it in a way where I would say it was innocuous. I mean, what's your favorite color? Unless I said, I hate green and you love green. Okay, maybe we have a little bit of conflict, but not a question that's going to cause anybody to have an issue, really. I'm just sharing something about myself and hopefully it's something you want to share too. I would say internally and then sort of, to my point, the rules of the road, be present. Don't be on your phone. Don't be you know, on your computer. Really engage. I continue to do that so that in a vortex, we would be connected.
1: Yes. There's lots of ways to humanize those digital meetings and they don't take a lot of effort, but they do really make a big impact. I was on a call not long ago where the host asked all of us to hold up whatever we were drinking at the moment. So to see cups and mugs and whatever else. And I had to laugh because the cup that I happened to be using that day was a cup that my cousin had given me for Christmas as a gag gift a couple of years ago. And all it says is, I'm silently correcting your grammar. <laughs>
2: I'm like, you asked. I'm sorry, that's the cup I'm using. There it is. And I cannot run to the kitchen and get a new one
1: right now. Nope, nope. So there it was. I got outed by my coffee mug. But uh, fortunately, people I was on the call with knew who I was. So they just figured out that's just par for the course. That was pretty funny. Now, let me ask you about succession planning because this is something that, especially when we're up at the top, we really have to think about on a a very strategic, long-term, long-vision angle. So what's something that could keep an otherwise technically qualified candidate from being promoted into a leadership role? And what would they have to do to fix that problem?
2: I would say being technically qualified isn't necessarily, you don't always know what being technically qualified means. So one of the things I think everybody has to understand is what's the full scope of the role? I used to look at roles and think I really want to do that. And then when I understood everything that that role did, every lawyer, so I practice law, I graduate from law school. Every lawyer says they want to be a general counsel. And then you find out what all the things are that the general counsel does, and you have to decide maybe I do or don't. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be a general counsel. And No, I would have told you through a whole part of my career, that's what I wanted. So understanding exactly what the role really is, I think is the first thing. So you think that you're totally technically competent for it. The second part about that is, if you're not, I strongly suggest that you get that you're missing. But in this day and age, I spend a lot of time at the University of Michigan College of Engineering, and I talk to these kids, and they are becoming technical experts in their chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, pick whichever engineering discipline you want. But what they also know and in the conversations I have with them, what they say to me is, but Crystal, I'm not going to always be in a lab or I'm not going to, at some point, if I'm going to advance in an organization, because it's the management of people is typically how advancement happens. There's nothing I'm learning that's teaching me the soft skills. So it's also finding the ways to learn the soft skills, to learn how you interact. And I have conversations with them about the things they need to do. One of the things I suggest is that you see someone whose style you really like. I mean, I used to do this. I would see someone and I would think, They are really good at when they would do their meetings or when they would talk to their people. And I would actually approach them and say, you know, I really like your style. I would love to get to know you better and understand your journey. Would you mind spending time with me? I used to call them get to know you. And I would get to know people. So it's finding people who are doing what you want to do, having conversations with them about what are the things that you did to allow you, what are the missteps you took? So really having conversations to understand what that journey really looks like to go from where you are to where you wanna be. I did that and I learned some interesting lessons about myself, about the things I always thought I would do that I didn't end up doing. Yes, I
1: think we all have those examples of we're so sure we want X until we find out what it really is and then we go, oh, that's, yeah. I thought I was, in high school, I was absolutely convinced I was going to be a lawyer because I loved the drama of the courtroom and the argument and all that kind of stuff. And then I found out that, Law school meant three years of living in a library. And I thought that sounded like hell on earth. And that's when I learned that God has a semi-sadistic sense of humor and said, Oh, lazy are you? Okay, fine. Don't go to law school. Do a PhD instead. That's seven years. Enjoy the library. Have a nice day. And then you have to write, and then you have to get it approved. And then you have to present it. And oh, so you, you, start you might have
2: to law school. You might as <laughs> well.
1: <Whoa>. Twice. <laughs> I could have done it twice in the amount of time it took me. Ugh. Oh. Yes, do not test God and do not be lazy. It just does not ever work out in your favor. So, all right, Crystal, tell me, finally, some advice to the future generations. If you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates about the one thing they have to do to be successful?
2: I can say this because I've had the honor of doing two commencement addresses. I did, did the University of Michigan College of Engineering commencement in 2014, but I went home last year to my high school I went to an all-girls private Catholic institution, and I got to speak to this group of young women. I would tell them to believe in themselves and to know that they will do great things and that the only competition that they have is themselves. Everybody's journey is different, and what you are meant to do is what you will find as long as you listen to yourself. We spend a lot of time listening to everybody else. Listen to yourself, learn to hear your own voice, and act on what you tell yourself. I would also tell them, keep the friends you made right now, because my best friend from high school is someone I can call. She knows where I came from, knows who I am. So she can say to me, yeah, that's not about you. Let it go. Or you're right. That's a problem. We need to fix it. Because she knows and understands me. And people who have met me later in my life know a component of me, but she's been on the journey with me the whole time. So she really knows me. I would tell them to live big and be bold and have courage. And don't let anything limit them. And the minute something does, walk away from that and go to something else. Because what's in front of them is indescribably amazing.
1: Yes, we are our own worst enemy and it's really important to not pick that battle. And there's a whole lot of other stuff
2: underneath it that we could talk about. Those are the big rocks
1: in the glass. Yes, let's get those rocks out of the way, make the road Straight and smooth. So, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us today. I
2: hope you had as much fun with this as I did. And I know our listeners did. Well, I had a great time. I appreciate you including me. And again, to your point, this is all about communication. So I hope it was a great conversation for you too. Absolutely. Tell everybody out there how they can learn more about you and independence. Well, if you're looking for a new place to land, IBX.com backslash careers. We're also on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn. And you know, what I would say is we're looking for passionate people ready to collaborate and help us to solve healthcare's biggest challenges. You heard me talk about some of those at the beginning. Let us know if you're interested. But more importantly, check us out and follow us because we actually share some really great things that you might find helpful for your personal lives as well.
1: Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us today. And everybody else, thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five star rating on iTunes or Apple podcasts so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite.